going to go full disclosure. I really like many people who serve as citizen legislators in Nevada. They're good folks. I don't like some too. Okay. But bottom line, the whole dang system needs talking about because in our state, our legislators have day jobs. So citizens who legislate good, but citizens also have conflicts, depend on lobbyists too much, ignore the voices of other citizens. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, we get into the sausage of citizen legislators, and I get to talk with producer Sonia Cho Swanson about the ingredients that draw my biggest beef. It's Thursday, June 30th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. I am recording. Yep, I'm recording is. too. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, I had a bunch of questions for you about our topic du jour, which is the citizen legislature. Can you oh, just... the citizen legislature. <laughs> what is that beast? But really, though, actually, what is what is that beast? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's define some terms really quick. Uh, we refer to... Our legislatures, those people who serve the state in the Nevada Senate and the Nevada Assembly, as a citizen legislature, because it is expected and anticipated uh, that they have day jobs, that their full-time job is not legislator. Mm. They only meet for 120 days every two years. Uh, and they don't get paid for any work that they do in the interim unless it's a special session that's called, that they would have to have jobs. And so we have one of the few citizen legislatures in the country. There's only a handful, and Nevada's one of them. So is this tied to the fact that our legislature only meets every other year? Was this by design? Like, Did, did the framers of our Nevada Constitution want us to have a citizen legislature? Yeah, and while I'm no historian, I've I've heard the tale told many a time that, you know, the the beginnings of Nevada were humble. It was very undeveloped land for the most part. We had a very sparse population. Uh, it wasn't anticipated that the people's business would require more than a meeting every other year for only 120 days. So, you know, the early legislators were ranchers and farmers and probably people from the clergy. And so the idea being, hey, we don't want to take you away from your cattle or your crops or your congregation too long. So, hey, is it too much of a burden to ask you to come in to the Capitol every other year for just a few months, work mm-hmm. out the people's business, and then go back to doing what you have to do? And that's the the nature of our citizen legislature, and it's held since the beginning of our time. Good old Nevada history. I love yeah. it. Takes me, takes me back to the high school days. <laughs> Mine's almost like drunk history, though. It's just yeah. kind of like, whatever. I mean, I think that's right. So This is the I'm history we it. wish we had in high school. Let's be real. Yeah, right? So, okay, that's how we got started. Now it's kind of sort of maybe under fire. So I, I understand that the Nevada Policy Research Institute has put together a lawsuit contesting this idea that our public officers can have more than one job, at least in certain cases. 
Yeah, yeah. So the NPRI uh, is essentially, and again, a libertarian bend, uh, conservative-ish think tank that is, by their own mission statement, designed to keep you know public officers accountable to the people. Okay. And there is a provision in the Nevada Constitution that has forever suggested that people who hold public office cannot also serve in the legislature. And the reason for that is is quite simple. It's a basic concept of democracy, which is separation of powers. Hmm. So the concept here being uh, you cannot serve the legislative branch if you also are serving another branch, that it's inherently a conflict of interest. And this question has lingered for decades as to whether or not somebody who holds a government job mm-hmm. can also hold a, an elected spot in the Nevada state legislature. And so when you say government job, does this mean like a teacher and like a firefighter? Or are we talking like somebody who's like, in a higher up elected position or appointed a position? Well, I think elected position specifically would be excluded. And I think no one has that in disagreement. We're okay. really talking. And if you look into the, the belly of the NPRI <laughs> lawsuit, they just had a recent win up in the Nevada Supreme Court to move forward, are, are basically saying anyone, anyone who is employed by the government cannot serve in the legislature. That is their basic principle now. Not all government jobs are created equally. And I think, Sonia, you got it right there. Is there a difference between a teacher serving in the legislature and someone like a deputy district attorney or a firefighter, someone who wields probably more authority as the nature of their government job than someone else? Is there someone who is serving in the government and in the legislature who triggered this lawsuit? The short answer to that is yes. The way that MPRI did this particular piece of litigation is that they named specific individuals and quite a few who hold government jobs. The main person they seem to have in their sights was the Senate majority leader, whose name is Nicole Cannizzaro. Uh, And at the time the lawsuit was initiated, Senator Cannizzaro was also a chief deputy district attorney over at the Clark County District Attorney's Office. And she was not the only Clark County District Attorney who was serving in the legislature. Melanie Scheibel also, who was appointed by Nicole to be the head of the judiciary, where things such as prosecutor reform laws would be considered as the the head of that committee as well. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of came up in the public eye in the controversy of the death penalty, Hmm. where it's a a ban on the death penalty passed through the Nevada State Assembly, but never even got as much as a hearing in the Nevada Senate because the head of the judiciary, where it would have gone, said basically, oh, we don't have time for that. That's not a major issue. Canizaro and Scheibel work for the Clark County District Attorney, who is an elected uh, official in the executive branch. And Steve Olson is a proponent of the death penalty. So any bill, such as the one that swam through the Nevada Assembly, had to go to his employees, Canizaro and Scheibel. They had to say, yeah, uh, we're going to hear it. And they didn't even give it a hearing. So, you know, that caused a lot of controversy in circles outside this NPRI lawsuit. But the NPRI lawsuit certainly addresses things like that as well. Well, well, let's get into your actual personal connection here to this lawsuit. So, well, I, you know, it, look, I, I think it's no, no secret that I have spent much of my career as a criminal defense attorney. 
and I am also aware of this separation of powers issue, and it is frustrating. I have a case that was initiated and prosecuted personally by Nicole Canazaro. Hmm. And as a result, uh, my client for what is accused to have been one course of conduct was charged with somewhere like 60 or 70 counts. It was all broken down. There was a gun that was fired many, many times. Every single bullet became a new felony, even though no one was hurt in that particular uh, incident, but that's how it was charged. And to me, you know, that would be a ripe area for prosecutorial reform. But in my mind as well, what are the chances of prosecutorial reform when the two people who are controlling that in the Senate are not only district attorneys, but the one prosecuting my case. So, yeah, I filed some motions that said that Nicole Canazaro and really the entire Clark County District Attorney's Office should be removed from my client's case, from prosecuting my client's case. There were at least two Nevada Supreme Court justices who said, hey, you know, this isn't good. Uh, we shouldn't allow prosecutors to also serve as legislators, not in this context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they filed a dissent opinion. And then shortly thereafter, the two prosecutors at issue, Canazaro and Scheibel, both resigned from the Clark County District Attorney's Office. So my case is still pending. There's a lot of very arcane legal issues involved in it. It really isn't the crux of what we're talking about, but it was definitely a personal connection to this whole idea sure. of separation of powers. Right, right. So this NPRI lawsuit specifically addresses people who are employed by the government. What about people who might have a conflict of interest with other jobs? Like, say, they're a real estate agent or they have, you know, a small business. I mean, theoretically, if there's a conflict of interest in the first situation, there might be a conflict of interest in the second Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in my way of looking at it, these are all kind of interconnected issues. Mm-hmm. My, I don't want to call it a beef because you know I do respect a lot of the people who work tirelessly for very little pay to try to get the the people's business done up there in the legislature. And no, try David. To... We want a beef. 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 Okay. Beef. All right. Beef. Beef. <laughs> Beef, beef, beef. (laughs) By relying on a citizen legislature, by assuming that people have day jobs, that those day jobs are inherently going to impact their choice of legislation, what they can stop or, or, or what they're going to vote for. And, you know, theoretically, all that is known to the voters. And so if the voters want somebody who is intrinsically tied to the real estate profession, they know that. And I think they probably presume that that person, if they're tied to, say, landlords, are going to be very pro-landlord up in the Nevada State Legislature. I, I get that's all part of the process. And if people are offended by that, they always have the option to vote them out. The beef is that, like, they should know better. <laughs> you know, that who should, who should you, know better? That, who? that the person elected should know better, that if they are... Okay. If they're a landlord, if they represent real estate interests, that when a bill comes up talking about tenant rights Hmm. or fundamental fairness or affordable housing, if it is contrary to the interests of their employer or their profession, that there probably should be some manner of, if not simply disclosure, recusal. Right. Because no, no legislator doesn't have the ability to say, I'm not going to play on this particular bill because I directly will benefit from it. Right. Um, you know, there are some rules of recusal, but the ethereal rules aren't there. So if there's a direct, direct benefit, in other words, if there's a piece of legislation that is going to result 
in, let's just keep using the real estate person. Sure. So sort of ability to translate to specific dollars in their pocket. They'd have to recuse themselves. And, you know, the example with the district attorney. So you have district attorneys in charge of district attorney, potential district attorney reform. You have landlords and people who are ensconced in the real estate industry who are the gatekeepers of tenant protections and tenant rights. And, you know, this goes through banking and this goes through really every aspect of our society because we have these people with day jobs whose livelihoods depend on their profession or their livelihood being sort of unmolested by law uh, being the gatekeepers. And not just that, but sometimes, like in the case of the district attorneys, they're elevated to high levels uh, within the legislature. So the head of the judiciary or the the, the head of the state senate. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not surprised when they appoint people who are entrenched in a particular profession as the head of the committees that are in charge of laws that would impact that profession. On the one hand, they say, look, these are the people who have an expertise. They have that knowledge. That's great to use these citizens. On the other hand, conflict, right? <laughs> you know, everywhere. Right. You right. know, the analogy about the, the fox guarding the hen house or, sure. you know, however deep that wants to go. I mean, that's exactly what we're encouraging in these citizen legislatures. And these sort of conflicts of interest aren't sussed out. They aren't really uh, broadly based because they're mostly, but not exclusively, voluntary. And, you know, these are the individuals who go for those positions. So you do get you know, a district attorney saying, presumably, yeah, I want to be the head of the judiciary where we're going to look at, you know, things that impact my office and I'm going to stop them. So that's what's been happening. Well, let's imagine here that we have people who hold other jobs aren't allowed to run for elected office. The state legislators, they don't make a lot of money. I'm seeing here per diem of roughly $160 for up to 60 days. We're looking at less than 10K. Who can afford to be a legislator if they don't have a second job? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and that's part of the argument is like, you know, they're basically, though not really, but basically volunteers, right? Mm. So, you know, if not them, who's going to do it? I, I mean, this whole discussion is not complete unless you're also talking about lobbyists and who the lobbyists have access to because, you know, it is well known Okay, it's not a big secret that I'm revealing that a lot of the citizen legislators do not go home at night with a pad of paper and draw up laws. I mean, they might draw up concepts or things that goals, but in reality, there are two entities that craft those bills that get passed. One is lobbyists. They hand them over. The other one is the LCB, which is basically the lawyers for the the, the legislature and the legislature, uh, you know, any individual can say, hey, I want this bill to happen. How can we make it happen? And they'll help them draft language that way. Mm-hmm. OK, so they do have professional full time staff that, you know, are comprised of lawyers to help them craft those bills. But a lot of those bills come from lobbyists. They Although, absolutely do. Theoretically, the lawmakers review, revise, add, subtract as needed. God bless citizen legislators. <laughs> That's what they're doing. That is exactly what they're doing. Let's just hope. And they're they're horse trading. Because that's a that's a Nevada yeah. term. They're backdoor dealing. Uh-huh. Uh, what was cigars it? may Juice. or may not be involved. 
juice yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. Who has access? Uh-huh. Uh, lobbyists meet with certain legislators a lot more than citizens meet with their fellow citizen legislators. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a system that no one particularly loves. And it all has to be done in 120 days. And it only gets done every other year. Yeah. It seems to be kind of a bit of madness, does yeah. it not? It, it does. It sounds like a circus. And, you know, you could actually be in the circus oh, right. as your day job. <laughs> I mean, I would advocate for more clowns, like literal professional clowns, birthday and or professional clown. I like it. They're all all professionals, but you know what I mean. But that said, the MPRI lawsuit is interesting because it has shown some light on a system that is vulnerable uh, to a little bit of light coming into it. But it also kind of begs this question of like these sort of conflicts of interest, this sort of pressure cooker on citizen legislators to to come up with all the laws and only doing it every other year. I mean, is Nevada doing its best right now to govern uh, through the system that we have set up? Okay. So last question for you, David. I am uh-huh. waving my magic wand. You are now the Wizard of Oz of Nevada, okay? Oh, my gosh. I know. The Wizard of Oz of Nevada. Dream come true. Oh, I'm- if I, I only had a brain I, and a heart <laughs> and the courage. You've got all three in spades. You're good. You're good eh, to go. So All I have is a little dog. Okay. Go ahead. So you get to redesign the state legislature now, okay? So my question for you is, do we have a citizen legislature? How often do they meet? How do they get paid? Does everyone have to wear funny hats? What does it look oh, like? So I'm down with funny hats right off the bat. Like, awesome. You've convinced me. Great. Like, just by its mere mention, I visualize and funny hats in. You know, look, I'm not here to upend the the ship that is the great state of Nevada that I love dearly. I just see a problem over and over and over again. We have a unique state in a lot of different ways, and maybe it still does call for a citizen legislature. But I think getting back to the point of disclosures and conflicts of interest, if we're going to continue on this particular plight, we just need to do it a little bit more transparently. We probably need to limit the impact of lobbyists, or at least have more disclosure on how that impact is actually implemented. I would like to see them meet every year. Obviously, I'm the wizard now, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> constitutional amendments and, and the change right. of, of, of law. I, I would like to see them paid on a regular basis and start shedding the conflict of interest type jobs that they do have. But you know, look, it's complex. And again, you know, every system has its own sort of limitations and challenges. But I think waiting every other year in a, in a state that has as many people as we have is f- foolishness. I, I think you get a lot of half-baked laws. I think you get a lot of laws that have been passed. And this is part of my my super beef. A lot of laws that get passed in the last last days of the 120 days because it is a a cutoff. Mm -hmm. It it can't extend unless there's a special session. And that's a big deal that rarely happens. Or when it does happen, it has to be very focused on one topic. It doesn't make any sense. I could point to tons of litigation in the past and stuff that's impacting us right now that got dropped, in other words, introduced in the very final days where there just wasn't time for debate. And some of the legislators literally said on the record, they just said, oh, well, too, it's too late. We just have to pass this. We're running out of time. We're running out of time. We have right. to pass this horrible law. And get and back so, to our citizen day jobs as... And get back to our citizen day jobs. Ranchers and, and circus performers and... Oh, you if know. only. But yeah. yeah, I mean, but that but that happens. And it's not just a one or two time that that's ever happened. David, thank you so much for talking with us about the woes and 
uh, interesting opportunities of the citizen legislature that we have here in Nevada, our great state. Thanks so much. My pleasure talking about it. All right, time for a little news. What's going on in Las Vegas, Sonia? Yeah, there's a lot going on. So even though abortion access is pretty well protected in Nevada, it is extra protected now. Governor Steve Sisolak has ordered state employees not to cooperate with other states that want information on women who come here for abortions or on Nevada doctors who provide them. Also this weekend... We must be expecting a lot of 4th of July celebrations because Clark County has issued an air quality advisory. That's thanks to all the smoke from fireworks they expect to be in the air. So tone it down, people. Don't forget there's a $500 fine for illegal fireworks and that fireworks have to stop at midnight on July 4th. The advisory lasts through Tuesday. And that is all for us this week here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are me, David Figler, and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. Enjoying the show? Go tell a friend. Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Starting next week... The CityCast Las Vegas podcast is going daily. So be sure to follow wherever you listen. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. Um, excuse me. I, uh, I think I have to burp. Um, all right. Well, it's not. Uh, it's not coming. So, oh, there we go. Burp. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm ready.